Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would instruct us. You would reach into each of our lives and change us, that your word may have full effect. We commit this time to you. Be glorified as we learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a great joy to be with you all again. I was sharing with some folks beforehand the impact that Whitey had on our early life. And I won't tell you how young we were, but it was 1970 and I was probably two years old. (laughs) (laughs) And great to see what you have done with the place. I love the changes and the classroom we're about to uh, be dedicating. What a wonderful bit of work and generosity and vision. It's just great. Grateful for Brooke and his leadership, not only here, but uh, in the diocese as well. He's been a tremendous help along the way and uh, grateful for Don and, and their family and all that they've meant to all of you and to all of us. And an exciting day, confirmation, chance to have people make a public declaration of their faith in the Lord Jesus. That is no small thing. We, we can do it easily here. We sometimes forget that it can literally cost your life somewhere else. Great privilege to be in a country where we get to do that uh, with uh, relative impunity. As I considered the readings this morning, I have to be honest with you. I'm the kind of person who loves middle ground. I love having friends on both sides of an issue because it makes me feel broad-minded. But sometimes there's no middle ground. There's one side or the other. You have to make a decision. We're heading into an election this fall, and you are going to have to make a decision. We have a Supreme Court nomination coming up, and the senators have to make a decision. And we resist having to make decisions, having to pick sides. Well, in the letter of James, we discover a harsh truth. A truth for those who love middle ground uh, is very uncomfortable. That there are two sides in life. I love the reading from Wisdom. I hope you are paying attention. It's a good example of two sides. Of the upright and those who oppose them. And often, throughout the scriptures, you have the upright or the righteous and the wicked and in, in big picture, that is the way the world actually is. We just don't like to think about it that way. But James goes deeper, not just showing us that there can be two groups of people, but that in our own lives, we're in the midst of a battle. God's side, the world's side. And I want to talk about the nature of the battle, looking at 
the letter of James this morning and a strategy for victory in the battle. Not the battle with different groups, but the battle in each one of us. That's what James is looking at. A battle with two value systems in opposition. God's values and the world's values. Now, the world has a particular meaning here. It means those things opposed to God. The word world is used variously throughout the scriptures. But in this particular case, James is using it as a label for those things in opposition to the things of God. What kind of battle are we in? What's the nature of the battle? Well, in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 4, I want you to notice uh, this language. Now, I'm using, a, I'm using ESV. I think you often use um, uh, another translation, but they're, they're close enough. Uh, in, the ES, in the English Standard, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So you've got a divided community. You've got a church that's battling each other. But he gets right to the heart of it. It's not that you're of necessarily opposite opinions. That's not what's going on here primarily. What he's saying is, you are each acting out of the battle within. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The word passion or desire, it's translated variously, is actually in the Greek, and I don't like to do this very often because it's not my native language, but I think it's helpful here. The Greek word is Hedoni, from which we get hedonistic. And he's saying it's that part of you that is after pleasure, the pleasure principle. As it was defined once in an advertisement, if it feels good, do it. That's the pleasure principle. And he's saying that's not a good principle to operate on. Those kind of pleasures, those kind of gratifications are going to get you in trouble. They're causing battles within you. He goes on in verse 2. He says, you desire and do not have. And the word for desire means that you're setting your heart on something. You're focused on something. You want something and you won't be happy until you get it. You desire and do not have. You're not getting your way. And he's saying there's a constant battle in us between getting our own way or following God's way. He goes on to say in the same verse, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, he wasn't suggesting that the Christians that he was addressing were actually killing each other. But you remember when Jesus talks about uh, hating your brother, he defines that as a subset of murder. In other words, it's the same. You'd kill him if you could. You don't, you're not going to actually do that. But you just as soon not have him around. And he's saying the same thing's going on here. You have, you're not getting what you want. And so you destroy the relationship. 
And that's just true in life. If we're too focused on a selfish goal, we will kill the things that matter. Now, it's obvious in addictions. Addictions can end jobs, kill marriages, destroy relationships. But as Tim Keller preached, at the heart of sin, all sin, is addiction. Addiction to self. And we all have that addiction. We are all addicts. The only question for us is whether we are in recovery or not. He goes on to say, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. All of the stuff that happens outwardly when we're in any kind of conflict is because inwardly we're in conflict. We're addicts who are fighting for our own way, but on the other hand, we recognize that there's God's way. We covet things or power or status or happiness on our own terms. That's just the way we are. If we're honest, if we take a look, if we dare to lift the cover off of what's in our hearts. We see an example of it in the gospel reading. Uh, It must have been hard to be a disciple of Jesus and having a teacher who constantly knows what you're thinking. So in Mark 9... It says they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you discussing on the way? As if he didn't know. But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And they knew, the reason they're quiet, is they know that Jesus is not going to like that. So they don't say a word. What's going on there? Those passions within are leading to quarrels uh, with others on the outside. And in this case, competition for greatness. Our internal desires spoil our relationships. The battle zone is our hearts. He says your passions are at war within you. And we're all in that battle. I have a favorite quote, and you may have heard it before, from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It comes from his book, The Gulag uh, Archipelago. And Solzhenitsyn begins uh, as an atheist or agnostic, but in the midst of going through imprisonment and looking at the world, he comes to faith. But he says this, Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Even in the best of all hearts, there remains an unuprooted small corner of evil. There's a battle within. And we have to admit that battle. So what's the strategy for victory? The answer in short terms is ordering our values for heaven 
and relying on God's grace in the process. The values of the world are me first. That's at the heart of it. Or as the bishop, as the bishop, the Beatles is what I'm going to say, and I have nothing to do with the bishop with the Beatles. Um, they wrote a song called "I, Me, Mine." That that's about the that could be the chorus for the values of the world. They're actually pointing out that that's not a good way to live, but. Looking around, all they could see was the selfishness of others and their own. I, me, mine. That's the values of the world. Sometimes we make it a little pop more positive. We're told we deserve a break today. I deserve a break today. I deserve a lot of things. That's what myself is telling me all the time. That's the value of the world. And we need a radical reorientation. Interestingly enough, the word orientation uh, comes from the word orient, which means the east. Now, we're used to having maps with north on top. But you may not know that for a long time, maps had east on top, west on the bottom. And to get oriented was to look at a map with the east on top. If we think of that, that's just wrong. <laughs> but what's actually going on with the gospel, in comparison to the values of the world, it's not a question of having east on top rather than north. It's really having south on top. A radical reorientation. I mean, stop and think of it for a minute. There is really no top or bottom to the world. Just pick one. I could argue that east isn't the top because we're spinning. But between north and south, what's the top? What's going on with the gospel is reorienting or rethinking what the top values are. It's to turn our whole map of values upside down. And that's what Jesus does. After, he, after they won't answer his question... It says, he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That's a complete upheaval for our value systems. We want to be first. And he's saying, well, in the kingdom, it's the opposite. If you want to be first from a kingdom point of view, you have to be last. You have to be the servant of all. It's not a question of people serving you, of you getting what you deserve, getting what you desire. It's a question of making sure that others are served. Jesus would have us ask ourselves these questions. What if I'm not the center of the universe? What if I'm here for others, not for myself? What if I put God first by putting others first? Marsha, in teaching about obedience, my wife has said in many times that the way you should be acting as a Christian is you wake up in the morning and you salute. You recognize that it's God who is in charge, not ourselves. That's what turns our world upside down from the world's point of view or right side up from God's point of view. 
to be people who are servants ready to salute rather than having everything come our way. I became a Christian partially because as I looked at my life as a 17-year-old, it occurred to me that God might have a better plan for my life than I would. And that it might be foolish as a 17-year-old to think that I knew more than what God might know. Now, I first had to get to know him and get to know the gospel. And of course, I assumed that his good plan for my life would match my definitions of a good plan and bring me the kind of happiness I wanted. Or to put it another way, it wasn't a full conversion. And I think a lot of us are that way. But fundamentally, it is true that God's plans for us are good and our plans for ourselves on our own are wrong, are evil, are selfish. We just have to recognize that about ourselves. I needed reorientation. I needed to begin recovery. So what begins to change the way we operate is to understand the upside-down nature of the world's values and to begin to put things in the right order in our hearts and in our lives. Bishop Todd Hunter wrote this. He said, Making God and his calling and purpose for our life primary, the first and highest-held desire of our life, is the path to freedom. It is the strong deliverer from the tyranny of what we want. The reordering principle for our disordered desires. James gets at the same point this way. He quotes a proverb, Proverbs 3.34. Now, in the English translations of it, it says this, Toward the scorners he is scornful, God is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. James puts it this way, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a battle. God is in opposition to the proud, those who are trying to run their lives for themselves, but he gives grace to the humble. Or to put it another way, we win the battle over self by surrendering. Surrendering our lordship, and putting God first. And then he helps us recognize our servant's role. He turns the world's priorities upside down to get it right, things right side up. How do we do this? We look at the greatest servant of all time, Jesus himself. Back in the gospel reading, he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. We follow the God who died on the cross as a servant for us all. So first of all, we look at Jesus. That will help get our thinking straight. And secondly, we need to ask ourselves the right question. Not, how are my desires being met? But, Lord, who needs me to serve them with your help? with your grace. I'm going to close with what I call the Mother Teresa problem. On the 10th of September, 1946, 
Then Sister Teresa experienced what she later described as the call within the call. She was traveling by train to the Loretto Convent in Darjeeling from Calcutta for a retreat. She said, I was to, uh, she, what she felt the call was, she said, I was to leave the convent and help the poor while living among them. It was an order. To fail would have been to break the faith. Now that was her call. And we rightly have honored the impact of the, uh, her obedience by God's grace to that call. So what's the Mother Teresa problem? The Mother Teresa problem is this. That we look at someone like her who gave her life so sacrificially and then we look at our own lives and we think, oh, I can't be Mother Teresa. The example is so distant from our day-to-day experience that we don't know what to do with it. We look at that and we give up. But the Lord would have his focus on what's in front of us. She happened to be in a context where she could follow that particular call, having followed the Lord along the way. Where has the Lord put you? For we are all surrounded by the poor, if not the financially poor or the medically uh, disenfranchised, by those who are lonely, those who are hurting. Those who are scared, those who are confused, we're surrounded by the poor. Ask the Lord for one person or one family where you can help, where you can be a servant. Just one. Just start with one. The Lord will answer that prayer, I promise. It's a dangerous prayer. He will bring somebody into your life who needs your help, who's going to take time, who's going to perhaps take funds, who's going to take energy and and will cause pain uh, as well as uh, the joy of watching God work. Some of them will respond positively. Others will not. But if we're going to be servants of all, If we're going to put ourselves last instead of first, we need the Lord to put people like that in our path. It's his way of getting things right side up. Of reordering our passions, our hedonism, so that we're more like him. And it does say that the Lord will give us more grace when we humble ourselves that way. That we don't have to do it in our own strength and our own power. He will give us His grace. He will make impossible what on our own is impossible. He will enable us to love the people that He puts in our path if we let Him. So today, ask the Lord to turn your world upside down so that you can be right side up in his kingdom. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for mercy upon mercy that you have revealed to
to us through your Son what your kingdom is actually like. And that you have heavenly values that you have demonstrated that you want us to live into here. Where you are first and we are servants. Help us to be empowered by your grace, remembering the cross of your Son, being filled with your Spirit. Help us reorder our values, reorder our desires, so that we can bring even more glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.